0: Your choice is simple, join us and live in peace, or pursue your present course and face obliteration.
1: Hello there and welcome to episode number 12 of Skeptics and Believers, a paranormal podcast. In this episode, Lisa will be taking the team through near death experiences. So please do grab a drink, sit back, and we hope you enjoy the show.
2: So what I'm gonna be talking about is near death experiences that refer to like a personal experience associated with impending death. So you're kind of you're in a bit of a bit of a coma or you've had a heart attack, things like that, and you have this out of body or this this light experience. A lot of people experience light. There's lots of different other kind of feelings you can get though. So they can experience feelings of security and warmth. There's often the presence of a light, maybe a figure within the light. Um, Some people go further in their experiences and have a completely out-of-body, flying through galaxies, talking to godlike people. The experiences have been described in medical journals and having characteristics of hallucinations... While parapsychologists and religious believers and some scientists have pointed to them as evidence, actual evidence of an afterlife and some kind of mind-body dualism. But there was a Gallup poll done in the States and approximately 8 million Americans claim to have had a near-death experience. Some people think that that's actually an underestimation and that a lot of people would have been embarrassed to say what they'd seen or felt quite, quite or possibly,
0: or maybe don't remember. It, yes. It's a bit like how you dream every night, but you don't remember your dreams. No. Well, I, well, some people do. I, I very rarely remember a dream. Don't remember no. of them. No. Well, you wouldn't because you, you're constantly dreaming while you're asleep. Mm. You just don't remember it because, you know, you might be dreaming about shapes or other random things that don't matter.
2: The earliest accounts of a near-death experience can be traced to the myth of Ur, recorded in the 4th century BC in Plato's The Republic, where Plato describes a soldier telling of his near-death experience. He tells of where he um, was seemingly dead for about a week, and then he springs back to life. while a he's week? On, yes, while he's on, his, he's, on the, he's on his funeral pyre, and all of a sudden he breathes again, and he stands <laughs> up and he tells this account of going up to the heavens, and there's people going up further and coming down. Looking very happy, and then there's people going down into the earth, and Queen up looking very disturbed, and they spend a little bit of time in heaven, or they could spend a little bit of time down in the depths, the basement. And then they get, then they get a lottery ticket. They have to line up, and they get a lottery ticket. And when they're called forward, they get to choose what they want to be in their next life. The people who have been in heaven often choose to be something quite powerful and something quite disturbing in their next life.
3: So it it? sounds like the deli counter at Sainsbury's (laughs) then. Mm.
2: And the people who have been kind of dragged up from the depths of the earth, they often choose to be something that's quite peaceful and quite relaxing, like they often choose to be animals. All-encompassing. That sounds pretty
0: Buddhist. It it is Mm. a little bit. Well, reincarnation side. Yeah, reincarnation, that's
2: major Buddhist relief.
1: Major Buddhist relief.
0: Suffering (laughs) (laughs) suffering from Buddhist heartburn. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Need major Buddhist relief.
3: I had a flying lesson once, and the door of the plane like popped open, and I literally, other than you know the uh, the seat belts, I was literally like hanging out the side of the plane, and things like that. That I was, it was just paralysing fear. I think in those sort of situations, you know, the brain just releases a chemical, and you see these things, or you have these certain feelings, and I think that's probably why. In the case of, you know, America, there'd been so many people who had said... Mm.
0: But I, I, I think, and I, if, if you've got some examples of these things, I, I think a lot of the time this is people who are in comas or people who are, you know, on the operating table and things. They're not people who've had a trauma which triggered a near-death experience necessarily. They're people who were dying.
2: Yeah, literally quite close to death, whether they've had an accident or they've been... You know, they're terminally ill... There was a study done by a Dutch doctor called uh, Pim van Lommel, and he was a cardiologist. He did a study of 344 patients who were successfully resuscitated after having a cardiac arrest, and 18% of those people expressed an intraoperative memory, so a memory of something that while they were being resuscitated, they they had some memory of it. And among those, 12% experienced a core NDE, which included out-of-body experiences. So I think that's quite a lot, really. Out of, say, out of 350 almost people, almost 20% would would say, yes, yeah, I, I experienced something.
0: So they, they knew what was happening to them yeah, that, while that they something were under.
2: Was, yeah, that something was cracking on. They remembered details of the conditions during their cardiac arrest and... Actually, despite them being flatlined as we know it, when the old beeping machine mm. goes beep, that that's an official term. By the, way. <laughs> the old beeping machine. The old beeping machine.
0: said the beeping machine's gone beep.
2: <laughs> oh. So they've these people have flatlined brainstem activity that they are actually then still remembering what has happened to them in that state mm. when they've been uh, clinically dead. Van Lommel concluded that his findings supported the theory that consciousness continued despite a lack of neural activity in the brain. So he believes we have a state of consciousness which is not connected to brain activity. The sceptic view on it on this particular study was though that brain activity wasn't measured and as a result the study fails to establish the exact timing of the experiences. So was it that these people were having this, this experience, this, this consciousness, just before everything happened or just after? You know, there was no... Well, they're actually trying to resuscitate someone who's just had an accident. Then no-one's sitting there clinically recording all of the brain activity, are they? They kind of... There's no way to verify the timing of the memory formation relative to brain scans when the patient isn't conscious. So that's one argument really, against whether people are remembering things and what time that they were remembering them exactly. So when you're trying to resuscitate someone, really.
3: I mean, the thing is, as well, I think the brain... We still are not particularly fluent in terms of how the brain works in all of its, in, you know, entireties. And, I mean, we, Lisa and I, we, we watched a programme not that long ago where it was people who had severe epilepsy... Mm and who, I mean, some people who were having several fits a week, and it was quite severe. And what the doctor was doing was that they were basically passing electrical impulses directly onto the brain, like literally shocking parts of the brain. And they had to do this operation with the patient conscious. Mm. And they would do this bit where he would have what looked like Like a ballpoint pen, and he would get them to talk, and as they were talking, he would like press on certain parts of the brain, and they'd be talking, and he would say, "You know, can you recite the alphabet?" And they'd start going A B C D, and he would press on one part of the brain, and they'd go A B C (laughs) D, and they would literally lose the capability of speech. And so, what he would do then is he would have this little like pin with a flag, and he would stick it on that top bit of the brain so that. They would know not to, that's a speech center, yeah. So they would know when they, you know, if they were trying to remove like a tumor or, or work around, you know, part of damage, you know, part of the damaged brain, they would know not to touch that. I mean, I don't think we really fully understand all the hemispheres of the brain. I don't really think we really know what's going on. And I still believe that what we're talking about is I think it's brain function, albeit without the locomotion of the heart going. I still think the brain can obviously function. Pull the on a computer there is still electricity held in certain components that are doing things and obviously a computer is designed to work in you know in the same way that a human works as that's where we get the ideas from you know it's electrical impulses flowing around so I, I personally think that I think it's really interesting but I do think that it's all down to the chemistry of the brain and the function of the brain
1: yeah, I mean, I, I said before we started recording that there was a drug that Aztecs used to use, I believe Aztecs, like South American uh, sun worshippers, which is DMT, which is a chemical that's found naturally in plants. It's a psychotropic chemical, and it causes them to have all these crazy hallucinations. But they found that there's a small gland in the brain. They reckon that at the point of death, the brain administers this kind of, or releases this kind of chemical. I think the idea of it is is kind of like a protective system. Like a defence mechanism. Yeah, when something really bad's happening to the body and the body knows, well, this is it, brain just floods the body with this chemical. I personally believe that's what leads to these near-death experiences, the seeing the bright light or seeing loved ones. Mm -hmm. This feeling of euphoria. Mm. As much as it would be nice to think, yeah, after we've finished on this plane, there's, there's heaven or... You know, there's some kind of nirvana that you go to, where you meet up with everyone you've ever known and loved, and it's it's all great. Unfortunately, I, I just it's nice it would be to believe in all of that. Personally, I don't believe. As an atheist, I don't think there is that thing. Once we once we're gone, we're gone.
2: It's not always God centric, is it? This afterlife it doesn't have to be. There can be an afterlife that isn't of a. Definitely
3: persuasion. Yeah, I mean, I'm a firm believer that you can sort of have spiritual beliefs that don't necessarily correlate mm. with any organised religion. And I think in some ways there are elements of religion which are quite moralistic. I quite like the idea of sort of it all being quite a la carte and you sort of take the things that you like from all religions and all spiritual beliefs and obviously it, it's about making them fit for you as an individual. But that, you know, that said, there's things that I think of feelings that I've got, which I I would term as being of a spiritual belief, which necessarily doesn't fit that whole heaven and hell and afterlife. This is the whole thing, isn't it? We're all different. We've all got different belief systems. The only thing that we really share, I suppose, is our sort of genetic makeup, which is why I think we do see a sort of commonality of people seeing white lights, people Mm. seeing, you know... The birth of their children, people flying through the sky and seeing, you know, space, and you know, I just think that's a byproduct of something happening, you know, within the brain.
0: But there, we don't know, do we?
2: No, oh, we don't know. There is one guy whose near-death experience is quite well documented, and he was he's he was a freelance stained glass artist. So this is someone. Who's not into the whole science and biology of things? He was diagnosed with a terminal illness. He got about eighteen months to live, and towards the end, he had this near-death experience. He knew he was going to die. He rang and he and he spoke to a few people, and his carer. He, you know, he told his carer that he didn't he wanted to be left alone. When he'd finally passed, and he, he was hooked up to monitors, so they, you know, they they had all the the gear to know that he was yes, he was dead. And he had this experience that he recalls now, because he's still alive, even though he had been pronounced clinically dead for about two hours, he had this experience where he went off into the galaxy, flying through, he understood everything, he understood the way that we were built, the way that we were made, the way that the galaxy was created... Absolutely everything, and he when he came back to his body, it was a form of brain tumor that he'd got. he'd gone for tests a few months later, brain tumor had completely gone, and he had this almost this infinite knowledge of biology and how things work on a almost like an, on an atomic level and he now lectures
0: so I think I might need to read up on this guy, but basically you're saying he was a guy who made. Stained glass windows. Yes. Had a brain tumour, flew away into space and came back as Stephen Hawking. <laughs> because that's not that can't be true. That cannot be true. Well, I'm th- trying to think of his well, name. His we- name's
2: Mayer. Oh, I was reading about it earlier. I'm sorry, I haven't written it down. But
3: this is the thing. What you've got to think is, this guy's got a brain tumour. Yeah. And for everybody that has a car crash and gets smashed in the head and then can't walk, mm. I mean, we're getting into sort of M. Night Shyamalan- unbreakable territory here there must be somebody who gets stoved in the head or has some sort of brain trauma
0: and then that suddenly... actually
3: stimulates then higher functioning of the brain mm. there's just got to be Possibly. because you know the brain is so I mean, everyone says that, you know, the, the, the brain is, you know, has a consistency of blancmange, don't they? It's like a, like a jelly-like substance. So for everybody that, as I said, literally is sitting there in the corner dribbling from some, sort of, some terrible sort of head injury, there must be some people that actually, you know, for whatever reason, it opens up their cortex and they're able to...
0: What do you reckon the odds are?
3: I'm not saying, obviously, you know, you you beat somebody in the head, or you know, and do they need to have a natural interest or appetite for these things? But I do think there is something there.
2: I did dig out some uh, some celebrity near-death experiences for us. The first one is uh, Goldie Horn. Mm. Goldie Horn, indeed. She's not um, crackers.
3: Was it was it a near-death <laughs> experience of her career, or
2: no? When she was younger and started out as an actress. She and a group of friends were in a severe car crash, and while she was unconscious, she remembers looking over herself while the paramedics were trying to revive her. She recalls seeing a really bright light and being told it was not her time. She has come out and stated that that happened to her. It did actually, apparently, happen to my granddad. He had stomach ulcers in his kind of 40s and 50s. He died quite young. I think he was about 58, something like that, when he died. My grandma told me that I asked her once if she was scared of dying. I think I must have been about seven or eight, so I was just obsessed with what really happens. And I asked her if she was scared of dying, and she said that she wasn't scared at all because Granddad had this experience where he had died and he had gone up to heaven. He'd followed the tunnel of light and he'd gone to heaven, and they told him, no, he'd got to go back and look after my grandma, and that, but everything was going to be all right not to worry about things, and he relayed that. I haven't asked. My grandma is sadly passed, but mm. I haven't asked my mother about it. I'm sure she would know about it if I asked her.
1: So, I'm, I'm intrigued now. Who's the second celeb?
2: This is a good one, you're going to Bobby like Not Bobby Davro. Jim Davidson? <laughs> no. It's Larry Hagman. Who's dead. Well, he is dead now. He is dead now. Bless him. He believes that he didn't just have one near-death experience. He had two near-death experiences although the first one from what i found out is it's a little it's not it's not a real near-death experience it's actually an lsd experience (laughs) so um this is all about hallucinations really in the grand scheme of things he'd been intrigued by lsd and what it could do to you and so he um he finally decided to try it and he was quite aware of the potential hazards that could befall him should he take LSD. And so he took it quite seriously and had really controlled conditions under which he was going to take it. (laughs) Apparently he wore a hooded monk-like robe that was been made by his wife for him and he began his little Larry Hagman LSD adventure. Here is a quote from Larry Hagman's LSD experience.
0: (laughs) That's a great name for a band.
2: (laughs) The entrance to a cave appeared across the room from him, guarded by two octopus-like creatures, accompanied by two entities that looked like feathery lions. Turning his head, he saw his grandmother, who had died when he was a child, hovering above him with a wonderful, comforting smile on her face. She assured him that it was all quite natural. He was at the gate of all new experiences, and despite the guards, he didn't need to worry. Her advice was, if you're pulled, don't resist, and if you're pushed, don't fight it. Just go with the flow. This is something that a lot of NDE experiencies seem to be told, that they are met by a figure that they know, that's known to them, whether it's someone who's passed already or like a godlike Jesus figure. He compares that LSD experience with a second NDE, near-death experience that he had, when he'd had um, surgery on his liver, because he had quite a problem with it. And uh, he also had an, an experience when he was in intensive care.
0: That raises quite an interesting thought, which is how many how many people who've reported NDE had previously taken mind-altering drugs?
2: Exactly, yes.
0: Because it's one of those things, with, with, with acid especially, is that when you've taken it, it bonds to you, doesn't it? You, you can get flashbacks, you can get triggers. Hmm. So I wonder if there's a link there between... Well,
2: exactly, yes. Would, when, he, have, would he have had the second one if he hadn't exactly, have done the LSD yeah. previously? But apparently it completely changed his outlook on life. He became quite... Um,
0: I'd read that, though, that, that a lot of people feel like that. I mean, I, the, the guy who you said came back a genius, I'm sceptical about that. <laughs> um, but the but in general, you know, they, they do say they wake up and they're they're calmer, they're more confident, they they just seem more happy with life.
2: Yes, yeah. He said he he, he saw a glimpse of where you've been, where you're going, and where you are, all of the time, and, and your part in the world. And it was just it's just the essence of life and the way we lived and existed. Yeah, but I, mean, I, I think
0: maybe, maybe when you come so close that you've nearly lost your life you just get a better appreciation for... Yeah, have a different yeah. view of ..things it. anyway, don't you? But it's all, it's all very interesting stuff, I think.
1: I don't think that... You know, you're saying you don't believe the guy had a near-death experience and came back a genius. But what about those stories you hear about the people who have, like, a knock on the head or that they wake up one morning and all of a sudden they can't speak English, but they're fluent in another language?
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. no, that, that goes back as well to what Eddie was saying. And I, 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 I see your point there, in that he may have come back a lot smarter than... Than before he had the near death experience, but it's the description of you know he he understands the universe on a subatomic level. He can't otherwise he would be the smartest man on the on the planet.
1: Mm.
2: All very interesting. Mm. Well, here's hoping it doesn't happen to any of us because that would mean well would death be. will happen to all of us Not in the near future.
1: No. So that was episode number 12 of skeptics and believers on neolithic experiences we hope you did enjoy that one if you haven't already please do like and subscribe to the podcast and if you already have say it every time but thanks so much for your continued support next week we will be discussing the phenomena that was spring healed jack so until then please do take care of yourselves
0: This podcast has been brought to you by Obsidian Shark Productions. The music featured in this podcast can be found at freemusicarchive.org and is used under the Creative Commons license. More details can be found on our website.